Let's pray together. Father, as always, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather, to be together, multiple cities. God, we never want to take this honor lightly because you have so designed it for us to gather together to worship you and honor you and hear from you. There's something that happens, God, when we collectively gather together to not only sing about who you are and the truth of what you've done, but God, to also sit underneath the teaching of your word. God, we believe that these are your words to us. You inspired people through your Holy Spirit to write these words down for our benefit, to help us to know who you are. You have revealed yourself to us. And so now, God, as we open up your word, we pray that you would take that word and plant it into our hearts and enable us to see and to to hear and to know you. That's what we want. We want to know you. We want to receive everything that you have for us today. And so, God, we pray that you would help us. You would fill us with your spirit. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate it in a way that obviously first honors you and then is helpful for all of us. And we thank you for it. We submit ourselves to it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're in John chapter 16. And uh, giving my time last week of just preaching four verses that I went 20 minutes over, I think it's important that we go ahead and jump into this text, all right? Uh, because I've got more than four verses today. But we're going to pick up right where we left off in John chapter 16 last week. And so if you got a Bible, that's where we are. If you don't, we have it here on the screen. But we're going to pick up in verse 4. In fact, we, I split verse 4. I did the first part of it last week, and I'm going to do the second part of it this week because Jesus kind of moves into not a different thought, but a thought that comes after his thought last week when he told us in verses 1 through 4 that people are going to fall away, that things are going to get tough, that time is going to get tough, the world is going to hate us. And, and I've made the case, and I hope convincingly enough for you to pay attention that I don't think that we should just wait for it to get really bad and then hope that Jesus takes us out, but we should understand that it's getting really bad right now, and we should do everything that we can do by our, uh, the, the power that God gives us to not fall away, to follow Jesus even though it gets tough. And so that has been the bad news, if you will, or the honest news over the last two weeks. But this week, Jesus is going to help us in the second part of verse four, because now he's going to tell us, even though it's going to get bad, I'm not going to leave you alone. Even though it's going to get tough, I'm going to be with you and I am going to help you. And he's going to bring up again the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump in John chapter 16, starting in verse four. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning. These things are what I just described, how it's going to get tough, how it's going to be hard to follow him. He says, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So again, context, Jesus is saying, I'm about to go away. And none of you are asking, where are you going? Because they don't really care where he's going. All they know is he's leaving. 
It's like a child who was supposed to go on a trip with their, one of their parents, and they've been looking forward to this trip, but then all of a sudden, the parent says, oh, sorry, we can't go on this trip because I got to do work or this emergency happens, and the kid says, where are you going? The kid doesn't really care. It doesn't need a detailed explanation of where it is that you're going. All they know is they're not going with you, and they're frustrated about it, right? They're upset, and so the disciples at this point in time are utterly confused, as you're going to see as we get to the latter part of chapter 16. They don't know where he's going. They don't even really care where he's going. All they know is he has said he's going, and they don't like it. And that's the context. But Jesus is about to flip the script on them and say, actually, it's a good thing that I'm going. It's to your benefit, or he's going to use the word advantage that I go, look at verse seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now you gotta remember, these cats have been walking with Jesus for three years, and Jesus said, he didn't say this to them at the beginning because he was with them. And literally, I think Jesus is getting at, he didn't have to say this to them at the beginning because he was with them and he could handle anything that came their way. He, he could handle any, any rough terrain that they walked through. And I mean that metaphorically. He could handle any situations. It's like walking with someone that you know is big and bad and you're like, I'm good as long as I'm with them. This is how I felt when I was growing up with my father. And I've talked about my dad a lot, and, and yeah, my dad was a scary guy, but the good news was, is even though he was scary to me, I knew he was scary to all y'all. And if I was with him, as long as I was with him, I knew I was cool, because I was convinced my dad could beat up your dad. That's all I needed to know. And if I was rolling with my dad, I'm all good, baby. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, man, I haven't said this to you because you've been rolling with me for these last three years. I haven't needed to say this to you. Because Jesus is God, right? I mean, he can, he can make miracles out of you know, loaves and fishes. He can bring people back from the dead. He can throw out demons into a, a herd of pigs. Like They good as long as Jesus is there. But now Jesus is leaving, and they're distraught. They're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're leaving now. How are we going to handle all of this? And here's where Jesus says something, and I gotta be honest with you. I don't think we actually believe what he's saying. Here's what he said. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your benefit. It's gonna be better for you that I go away. I think if we did a straw poll right now and ask, would we rather have the Holy Spirit in us right now, the way it is right now, if you know Jesus, or would we rather have Jesus with us, I would say, almost all of us would say, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have the flesh and blood person of Jesus next to me over what I have now. But we would be wrong. Because Jesus said, it's actually better for you that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the helper won't come to you. And this is what we've talked about if you've been here over the last several months when we've gotten into, as Jesus referenced the Holy Spirit previous times, that it's actually better because 
Yes, Jesus, when he was here, we had Jesus, God in the flesh, on the outside of us, but now through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of us. And Jesus said that's actually better for us. To use my analogy, it's one thing to have my dad, a big, powerful man on the outside of me, but it's a whole nother thing to have the power of my father inside of me. And that's why Jesus says, it's to your advantage. And here's why. I think the key to understanding this is actually in the word advantage. And so today what we're gonna talk about is our advantage. In fact, that's the title of today's message, our advantage advantage. This word here, advantage, in the English, when I was reading it, it feels like it's a noun. And if you just look up the definition of the word advantage, most often it does occur as a noun. And the word advantage means to be in a state, right, of, of blessing or to be in a state of benefit, to be, you've got something that, that others don't have. You have the ability to do something or you have the, the opportunity, right? You, you have more than what others have. That is what it typically means and, and it typically occurs as a noun. But what's interesting, this word here in the Greek is not a noun, it's a verb. It's a verb and it's the Greek word sympharo, made up of two words. One, the prefix sim, which means with or together, I've said this before, S-Y-N, it's, it's where we get our English word synergy. It means, you know, withness. And then the second word, Pharaoh, not like the Hebrew Pharaoh, but I'll make reference to that in a second, means to bring forth or to bear. The idea is to carry. And so if you're gonna carry something, yeah, that's Pharaoh, that's the word. Like you put weight on your back if you're working out or 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 you just bought a bunch of groceries, right? And I don't know how skilled you are in groceries, but I feel like I can carry 75 plastic bags at once, right? That's why I like plastic bags way more than paper bags, because I can stick all those plastic bags through my arms, right? And, and as, a, as a child, because when we went shopping, man, I felt like we shut the, short, the, the store down. My mama used to spend over 100 bucks shopping way before there was the inflation that we have now. I'm talking about like in, back in the 80s. So it'd be like $400 today. We would go to Albertson's, man, and I love, I mean, we just throw all that stuff in there until I realized you don't take your kids shopping with you. That is a grave mistake, right? It's, but when I put all those bags, I'm, I'm carrying all those, but I'm carrying them myself. But what's interesting about this word is it's not just carry alone, it's to carry together with someone else. It means someone else is carrying the weight with me. And this is why Jesus says it's an advantage to you. Because see, here's what we need to understand about the work that Jesus did. And if you were here last week, I talked about how Jesus died to get us to God. God is the good of the gospel. So when we get to heaven, it's not so much about a place, it's about a person. Jesus died to get us to God. And typically when we think about God, we think of God the Father. 
And that is true. But I think there's another part of this that, that is so interesting to me that I, I, I don't often think about, and to my detriment, and I think we don't often think about, is it's not just that God, that Jesus died to get us to God in the future, or he, he, he died to get us you know, out of hell and into heaven with God. Jesus didn't just die to get us to the Father. Jesus also died to get the Spirit in us. See, he didn't just die to get us to the Father in the future. He died to get us to the Spirit now. And this is why Jesus says, it's to your benefit. It's to your advantage. Why? Because you're not just going to have me on the outside. You're going to have him on the inside. And him on the inside, watch this, is better than Jesus on the outside. Because Jesus on the outside means he's not in me. And so therefore I have to be with him physically at a location, at a place in time. But when I have the Holy Spirit on the inside, that means wherever I go, God is. Because he's with me. And this is why Jesus is saying it's our advantage. This is why it's a verb. Because the Spirit is there to carry the weight with us. The Spirit is there to bring forth. That's what the word means, to bring forth together. And here's the good thing about God. He has never asked you to do anything that he won't empower you to do through the person of the Spirit. And this is what I misunderstood. I said this often. I've misunderstood for so long in my walk with Christ. Because there's verses like Matthew chapter 11 that say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That is a reference, yoke, to bearing something, to carrying something. And it makes it sound like, oh, sweet, all I got to do is come to Jesus and it's going to be easy. But then there's other verses like Matthew chapter 7, same Jesus that spoke, and he said this, the way to destruction is wide and many follow it, but the way to life, the gate is narrow and few find it. And so you put those two verses together and you're like, which one is it, Jesus? Is it hard or is it easy? And here's what I've come to realize. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was not saying following him was easy. Anybody who's ever followed Jesus has understood that. Is following Jesus hard, yes or no? Yes, it's hard. Christianity, this is what I said months ago, Christianity is a religion and it does have rules. It does have regulations, it does have laws, it does have boundaries that we are to follow. Christianity is hard. Don't let anyone lie to you. You say, well, hold up, but he just said his burden was easy and light. Yes, because although it's hard, you have the person of the Holy Spirit inside of you, empowering you. Therefore, he's doing all the work and it's easy for you. Let me say it to you like this. Those of you that are gamers out there, you got a cheat code. You got a cheat code. I feel like as the gaming industry has taken off and my own kids love it, I feel like, you know, they think they know what they're doing, but they're not OGs. <laughs> they don't know nothing about Atari. They don't know nothing about Nintendo. 
Not even Super Nintendo. I'm just saying Nintendo. They don't know nothing about up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. Come on, somebody. Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, that was the ultimate cheat code. And it was popularized in a game called Contra. And what happened in this game, Contra, when you put in this cheat code, you got a lot of lives. Yes, somebody remembers. You got 30 lives. And it was built into the system. And what's amazing is this game, and it's been popularized by the movie Wreck-It Ralph, was built into the system on purpose. But until we figured out the cheat code, there were so many people that were playing the game not having the advantage. I looked up the word cheat code in the Urban Dictionary, and I kid you not, this is what it said. It means unfairly awesome. Yeah. Here's what Jesus just said to you. It's going to be unfairly awesome for you. It's going to be unfairly awesome for you. Because if I go, I'm going to send you the cheat code. If I go, I'm going to send you the advantage. And this is why it's amazing that this word is a verb and not a noun. See, a lot of us think that, oh, it's going to be an advantage one day when we get to heaven. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is broken into your life now. You have the advantage now. Why? Because you don't just have a noun, you have a verb. And watch this. The verb is to bring forth together. So guess who is with you bringing forth what God wants in your life? It ain't you alone. It's the Spirit. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says in verse 13, for it is God who works and wills in you to bring forth his goodwill. It's God who's doing it. And here's what I failed to realize, and here's what so many of us failed to realize. We're trying to obey the commands of God without the power of God. And the power of God comes from the person of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. What's amazing here, he says, but if I go, I will send him to you. This word here, send, is a different word than I told you last week, apostello, which means to send forth, you know, like apostles and messengers. This word, it does mean to go forth from one place to another. But here's amazing thing about this word. It also means not just to go forth, but to bring forth. And it's the idea of a harvest. So here's what Jesus was saying. I'm going to send him to you. And when I send him to you, he's going to begin something in you. He's going to produce something in you because that's what he does. See, it was the spirit who was hovering over the face of the deep in Genesis chapter one, that when God spoke, the father spoke through the son, it was the spirit that brought it forth. The spirit is the one who brings forth the power from the word of God. And so Jesus is saying, I'm gonna send him to you, but when I send him to you, he is going to bear with you to bring forth my will in your life. 
That's the cheat code. That's the advantage. If you're taking notes, here's the point. He is not just sending the Spirit to be with us. I've, I've made many, many sermon points about that one. He's not just sending him to be with us, but watch this, but to begin something within us. Not just to be with us. This is why I say all the time when you pray, God, be with us. God's like, I am with you. What we should pray instead is not be with us, but begin something in us. Would you work in us? Would you work your will in us through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, God? I want to take advantage of the advantage that I've been given, and I know I can't walk this narrow gate alone, so would you help me? He's called the hamburger helper. If you were here a few weeks ago, no, he's called the human helper. He is here to help. He is here to bear with you to bring forth in you what God has for you. That's the advantage. And the reason why so many of us don't experience the fruit that God wants in our life is because we're trying to bring it forth on our own. We're trying to play the game without the built-in cheat code. Let me give you a couple more verses. Jesus said this about the Spirit. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So there's three things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to bring forth. And these are good things. He's going to bring forth these things in your life. The first one Jesus said is he's going to convict of sin. Convict. And this word convict means to, to be made aware of something. See, self-awareness, and I've said this many times, self-awareness isn't the fruit of self. It doesn't come from you. So let me say it to you like this. You can't make yourself more self-aware. Because I don't know if you know this, but you're biased against yourself. And the problem with you is you take you with you everywhere you go. If you're like, man, problems keep following me, what's well, because you keep going? <laughs> right? So if you've got a dysfunctional relationship now, guess what? Starting a new one isn't going to make it functional because the problem is you've got to take you with you into that new relationship. And if you made this one dysfunctional, guess what? You're probably going to make that one dysfunctional. And if you're in the dysfunctional one now and you're saying, well, it's the other person that's so dysfunctional, then you have failed to see your own dysfunction. Come on, somebody, right? Because the most dysfunctional people are the ones who don't know that they are dysfunctional. So without the Spirit, watch this, without the Spirit, there's going to be no conviction. Without the Spirit, there's going to be no awareness. Without the Spirit, you're just going to rock along in your life thinking that you're doing awesome. Everything is awesome, right? I'll just keep in the line of games and movies and animation. Without the Spirit, there's no conviction. And this is the biggest problem with the world today. We'll get into the truth in just a second. But conviction means there's a standard 
and I've broken it. So what we just did in the world today is everybody felt convicted for the standards that they broke. It was like, well, let's just change the standards. So there's no conviction. Guess what? In the place, there's compromise. But without the spirit, there's no conviction. Second one he says is righteousness. Righteousness. The good thing about the gospel, the good news about the gospel, is not just that when Jesus came, it showed us that we were so sinful that he had to come and die. We are so sinful. We're so broken. We had to come and die because of sin. Sin has separated us from the Father. But there's another thing that the Spirit does. He doesn't just convict us of sin, what we've done wrong, but he shows us that Jesus paid for that sin and gave us his righteousness. And that now before the Father, we are righteous. As one person said, it's like wrapping yourself up in a sleeping bag so that now when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you inside the sleeping bag, he just sees the righteousness of Christ wrapping you, clothing you. So the other thing that the Spirit does, it says, listen, you're so sinful that Jesus had to die, but you're so loved that he chose to die. You're so bad that he had to, but he's so good that he chose to. And that when he chose to, not only did he pay for your sin, he substituted your sin with his righteousness. So that now, as a child of God, God will only and always forever see you as righteous. I don't know about you. Yeah, you clap if you want to, but if you're going to clap, you better clap, baby, because I, I ain't got time to stop, all right? But that is the advantage that I need to be reminded of. I have to be reminded, Jason, yes, you sinned. Yes, I've convicted you of that sin, but you do not have to make yourself right before God. Jesus already did that. And that's how we bear with it. He reminds us, Jason, you are linked to Jesus said, my yoke is easy. If you know anything about a yoke, it's the beam that goes in between you and the oxen. And what's amazing about a yoke is not just that it connects two, but here's what I think, if I were to draw a picture of the Christian life, there's one really big ox and his name is Jesus. And there's one really small lamb on the other side whose feet's not even touching the ground. And that's us. And there's only one doing all the walking. One's just connected to the one that's doing all the walking. And if we were to put a caption on it, we're like, look at us, we're doing so great, but we ain't touching nothing. <laughs> it's him. And see, the spirit reminds us, not only that he convicts us of sin, he reminds us that our righteousness before God has been purchased and paid for in Christ. The third thing that he does, he says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So he doesn't just convict us of sin. He doesn't just remind us of our righteousness. Watch this. He gives us a new judgment. He says the ruler of this world is judged. I told you a few weeks ago, that's the same word, RK. The RK of this world is judged. I don't know if you've realized this yet, but the judgment of this world is whack. There's been a lot of conversations about justice over the last two years, and rightfully so, there needs to be, there should be. 
Because no one wants to live in an unjust world. The problem is we have no longer defined justice by biblical standards anymore. This is why I don't like the word social justice. I would prefer the word biblical justice. Because biblical justice is, is coming from the biblical concepts of judgment. And so what he is saying is not only does the spirit convict, remind, but he gives you the mind of Christ to make better decisions in the future. He gives you the power and the ability now to have a new judgment. Have you ever looked back on your life and thought this? What was I thinking? Anybody? It should be everybody. Only the babies who are not in rev kids could raise their hand because they can't acknowledge the fact that they can think. The problem was back then, I used to say the problem was you weren't thinking. That was the problem. But I think a better way to say it is, oh, you were thinking. You were just thinking with the wrong mind. You were just thinking with the wrong judgment. So you didn't have the mind of Christ. You had the mind of the flesh. You had the mind of Satan. You had bad judgment. And now what Jesus says, because the spirit, this advantage that we have concerning judgment, he's gonna give you wisdom. This is how he does it. Look at verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you. This is fascinating. But you cannot bear them now. Don't miss this. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Why can they not bear them right now? at that point in time, because they didn't have the spirit yet. Remember, the word advantage is a verb, and what does it mean? It means to bear with, to bring forth with. So they didn't have the spirit to help them bear it yet. Jesus is saying, you don't have the advantage yet. I still got many more things to say to you, but you don't have the advantage yet, but then look at this one, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. You can't bear it now because he's not with you yet. He's not in you yet. But once he's with you, once he's in you, he will guide you, lead you. What's amazing is this word here, guide, lead. The idea of leadership is the idea of a preferred future, right? Whoever is the leader in the group has to say, that's where I think we need to go. So let's go there. But good leadership is determined not just by where we want to go, but how we're going to get there. And how we're going to get there, Jesus says, is the Spirit's going to help us. See, the Holy Spirit is such a good leader. He will never ask you to go anywhere that he's not prepared to help you get there. He will never ask you to bring forth fruit in your life without him bringing it forth. He will never ask you to bear the commandments of Christ, that narrow road, without making sure you're yoked to the oxen that's gonna make it happen. See, that's how he leads. That's what makes him a good leader. 
And Jesus is a good shepherd because he knew that his people at the time couldn't bear it because they didn't have the Holy Spirit to help them with it. But watch this, he says, but when he comes, he will lead you into truth. He goes on, look at this. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is so important to understand. There's a lot of conversation today about truth. What is true? And sadly, there's a lot of people, even in supposed Christian circles, that are saying that the Spirit is leading them into something that is true, but it contradicts this word. And I want you to hear me say this loud and clear. The Holy Spirit, isn't that funny? I say loud and clear, and then we have, hmm, Satan is the ruler and the power of the air. Somebody doesn't want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into a truth that contradicts what the Bible says is true. Never. Because he doesn't speak on his own authority. He doesn't speak on his own authority. And here's what I need you to help. help I was gonna say help me understand. I understand. I want to help you understand. I think I understand it. Anyone who tells you something that is true that contradicts this word, listen to me, is acting as their own God. They are speaking on their own authority. That's why it's idolatrous. Isaiah says the world will pass away, but this word will never pass away. The flowers fade, trees fail, but this word, never Isaiah 55 also says, just like the rain is sent forth and it produces a harvest, this word is sent forth and it produces what he sent it out to do. So the Holy Spirit will never, 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 never lead us into a place that's going to produce anything other than our life than truth. And the Bible says, freedom. Here's the lie of the world. Freedom is found outside of God's word. That's the lie of the world. That's the lie that the devil made to Adam and Eve, isn't it? See, the devil didn't show up until God had given a command. And once he gave a command, what did the devil say? Is that really what God said? Is that really what he said? I think in today's language, he would say, is that really what he meant? Which I say this all the time. I see people, supposed Christians that say, well, it doesn't really mean that. Well, for 2,000 years, that's what it's meant. And so the spirit, when he comes is going to guide you into truth. And here's the thing. Not only is he going to guide us into it, 
but he's going to enable us to receive it. See, the reason why Jesus didn't tell them everything that was true at that point in time is because they couldn't handle it because they didn't have the advantage. And this is why I said it's better now that we have the spirit inside of us than we have Jesus next to us because now we have the power of Jesus in us to enable us to handle the words of Jesus. That's our advantage. That's our cheat code. And so, yes, the truth of God, listen to me, the truth of God is big and weighty. And in fact, the word for glory is doxa. It means weightiness. The glory of God is weighty. This is why Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, when he saw God and the glory of God filled the temple, Isaiah fell down. Because when a big weight comes into contact with a smaller weight, guess who loses? The smaller weight. Have you seen sumo wrestling? It's what happens. The weight of God is weighty. He's God, but watch this. But you have God within you to bear the weight of God. And the weight of God is the word of God. That's the glory of God. And so when you see the commandments of God, like be holy for I am holy, that's weighty, isn't it? Anybody here tried to be holy without God? Didn't work very well, did it? The commandments of God, like Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Those are weighty, right? The word of God is weighty, but here's the news. You don't have to handle the weight by yourself because you got God in you to handle the weight of God. Do you see that? That's the advantage. So the worst thing that you can do, listen to me, the worst thing that you can do is lessen the weight of God. Watch this, because if you lessen the weight of God, not only does that diminish the glory of God in his word and revealed in scripture, but it diminishes the spirit's power to lift the weight of God. So the people that are telling you, oh, that's not what the command means, and they lighten the commands, it actually robbed God of his glory. Because that's what he said it meant. And it made it less weighty, so now you can carry it without God. Listen to me. If you read any command of God and think, oh, I can do that, you haven't read it right. You can't do it but he'll lead you to do it. Last couple verses, verse 14. He will glorify me. What Jesus said, he'll glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said to you, or I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is what's so amazing to me. If you won't lessen the weight of the word of the glory of God, if you won't lessen that, but you'll follow that, you'll obey that, you'll believe that, you'll be convicted of that, not only will it glorify him, but the spirit will take all that is Jesus's and give it to you to enable you to live in that 
And what is all that is Jesus's? Check this. All that is the Father's. Friends, I don't think we understand the cheat code that we've been given. I don't think we understand how unfairly awesome it is. What all does the Father have? If there was one word answer that you would give to me to this question, what all does God own? What would you say? Everything, that's the word. See, there's verses in the Old Testament that say things like this. God owns the cattle on how many hills? Anybody know? A thousand. Do you know that's speaking metaphorically? It's not like there's actually a thousand hills and God owns the cattle on all of them. So a thousand and one he doesn't own. This isn't like Yellowstone where he's got piece of it. No, it's speaking metaphorically because the number of a thousand is speaking representatively to say everything. So when you read that verse, when it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, what God is saying is he owns all the hills and all the cattle. He owns every hill. This is why I don't put too much stock on the numbers in the book of Revelation when people talk about the millennial reign of Christ like it's a literal thousand years. Here's what I'm saying. I think he's saying it's all time. He owns it all. It's all his. And here's what Jesus just said. Everything that the Father has, every hill, every cattle, all time, is Jesus's. So this is mine. And then Jesus said this, and the Spirit's gonna take what is mine and give it to you. Give it to you. He's gonna declare it to you. So let me ask this question. What can the world give you that God doesn't already own? What can a lie give you that the truth hasn't already given you? See, what's amazing, this word here has, it's literally the Greek word echo. And we got a word in English that sounds like that. Anybody know what it is? Echo, yeah, it's the same word. And the word echo in English means a sound reverberating off of something, right? Like if you've been in a canyon and you've said, hello, 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 right? I live not too far from downtown Canton and, and they had a festival there. And every time there's a festival at Etowah River Park, it sounds like the, I know where the fest, I walk out of my house and the festival's from that way, but it sounds like it's coming from that way. Why? Because the sound's bouncing off buildings and coming to me this way. It's an echo. Here's what Jesus just said. The Father has it all. Everything that Jesus has is an echo. But watch this. But then the sound's gonna bounce off the spirit and then echo to us. It's the same sound. There's one truth. It's the same life. It came from the Father, purchased through the Son, applied by the Spirit to us. So let me ask you this question. I have it here on the screen. Whose truth are we most echoing? Whose truth are we most echoing? God's or the world's? 
And here's the only reason why I ask the question. I ask it not to induce guilt. I ask it to show you the advantage. The world can give you nothing. The world can give you nothing that God doesn't have. Do you understand the advantage that's been given to us? The advantage that's been given to us has been purchased through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and now is applied to us by the Spirit where he enables us to not only get to God, but to be like God. And when I say be like God, I'm not saying in a weird Mormon sense, like we're actually going to become God. I'm saying we'll have the characteristics like God, like where we are now holy, righteous, set apart. And so if in your life and my life, you're not reflecting the truth of God, if there's areas in your life where the Spirit is convicting you now, saying, man, this part of your life is so outside of the echo, so outside of the truth of God, it's because you haven't taken advantage of the advantage that you have. You haven't taken advantage of the person and power of the Spirit to enable you to walk in that freedom. Amazingly, Galatians chapter 5, it's a chapter I quote often about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul was writing to the Galatians and he said this, who's tripped you up? You were running so well. And then he says, keep in step with the Spirit. But the verse that jumped out at me was Galatians 5.2. You can write this down as a reference. I don't have it on the screen. But here's what Paul said. Speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, he said, if you accept circumcision, which means you accept all the rules, the world's way of doing things, then he said this, Christ is of no advantage to you. Christ is of no advantage to you. So friends, if you accept the world's truth, Christ is of no advantage to you. And therefore, you don't have the person and power of the Holy Spirit to enable you. But if you accept God's truth, that you were a sinner, but Christ made you righteous by his death, burial, and resurrection, now he will empower you. Then you have the advantage. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for your word. This book that we have. Because it tells us about you, your son, and your spirit. God, just like I said last week, I don't want anybody listening to this message to fall away. I don't want anybody to be led into a lie. And the way that they won't fall away, God, is if they have the advantage. They have the cheat code. They have the built-in, the built-in power of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But God, I know there are people here today who have never trusted in Jesus, and today the Spirit 
is opening their eyes to see the truth that they need to trust Jesus. They need to believe and be saved. They've been convicted of their sin and now they need to believe. So I pray you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've just heard this message and you wanna trust in Jesus, and the Spirit has opened your eyes to see the truth that you've been living by, a standard that contradicts the Word of God, then the Spirit of God has convicted you and now wants to make you righteous in Christ. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your Son Jesus, in my place for my sin, to save me, forgive me. I believe he is the Christ and that in Christ, I'm made righteous. So would you save me, forgive me? I'm trusting in Jesus alone. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you just prayed to trust Christ and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up we got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. If you're online or in person, you can fill out the digital connection card, let us know that you trusted Christ and who you are so we can follow up with you. Within those of you that have trusted Christ and you've been convicted of sin, you are righteous, but your judgment is off. You've been listening too much to the world instead of the word. You've been redefining terms as the world does it. And now if the spirit is convicting you that your judgment is off, your wisdom is off because your mind was off. And now you want to walk in truth. You don't need to be saved again but you do need to repent. Say, Father, I'm sorry. Would you give me the mind of Christ? Empower me by your spirit to walk in truth and freedom. Father, we ask you to send your spirit to enable us. And yes, God, we believe in the gifts of the spirit. And yes, God, we believe that you heal and you perform miracles. But God, the greatest miracles are those that you do in our hearts, those that you do in our minds, where you enable us to see and hear things that we couldn't have seen and known before. When you heal things, when you free us. And so God, we pray now for the person and power of your Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ, to give us judgment, to give us the power and ability to enable us to walk in truth. Because yes, the, the way is narrow and few people walk in it. But God, if we are in Christ, and we have the advantage of the Holy Spirit, then you will enable us to walk in it. So that's what we ask. That you would bring forth together with us through the person of the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.